right, lesson seven, part six, a closer look at Jesus. Um, quite a bit to share here this morning. It really is an important lesson. That, uh, <laughs> I don't know how you would judge one lesson above the next in any part of the Bible about what's more important and what isn't, <clears throat> but, um, but it's all good stuff. What I've written here on the board is simply this. This particular lesson has more application, I think, than just about any of them as it relates to our own life. And you may not see that on the surface, and so that's what I want to try to get into with this lesson here this morning. Um, I'll read for a minute. So far in our closer look at Jesus, we've learned that he is the promised Savior, the mighty God, the great teacher, the Lamb of God, the risen Lord, the Lord of all, our great intercessor, and our righteousness. He is all of these and much, much more. He is our power, our holiness, our victory, our joy, our strength, our patience, and much more. And then we're in this lesson, we're going to take a look at the fact that he's every, everything we need. One of the things we're going to be looking at is this idea that in previous lessons we looked at the importance of being in Christ. You may remember lesson six and the add-on to lesson six is how important it is to know our state and our standing about being in Christ. But here we're going to start to take a look at the flip side of it and that is Christ in you. It's a two-sided coin. I want to uh, yes here's where I want to go because your sons God hath sent forth the spirit of his son where it's Galatians 4 6 into your hearts we talked some last week I talked about this idea of things being in our heart this is a a vitally important truth to be able to get our mind wrapped around is in the heart of man. In our heart is where God deals with us most often. And I'll go ahead and get into this, but I'm, I'm wanting you to kind of keep this in mind as we go. This thing about what, what's in your heart. This is where it really gets important. Uh, Christ lives in the heart of every believer, but not every believer understands who Christ really is. I'm going to get into the Gospel of John in a minute, but it talks about some important truths. Let me share something with you about John. Um, when, we, when we're dealing with a new Christian, and a new Christian wants to know, okay, where is it in this big Bible? Where can I start reading? I always tell them to start with the book of John. Start with the Gospel of John. Why? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each show us a different <coughs> picture of Jesus. Very much intentionally so. Matthew wanted us to see that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne. That Jesus, as the man came in the bloodline of David, and descended all the way from Abraham as part of the promise and that Jesus then fulfills the promise and that he comes from the seed of Abraham and he is the rightful heir to the throne of God, his political position. Mark wants to show us Jesus at work. 
He shows us the human side of Jesus, though, that is active. Mark has Jesus doing all kinds of things. And, and you see that, that that's pretty much the emphasis that Mark tries to make as he writes. He wants us to see Jesus doing things. Luke comes along and he wants us to see Jesus as a human being. He gives us, first of all, it's really important to know that, that Luke was a doctor. He gives us details that the others don't, especially about the birth and so forth, and and uh, and then the crucifixion and the death, and he's the one that writes about the water and the blood gushing out. And, and, and Luke's whole emphasis is to show us the person of Jesus, who he is as a human being, as well as God. But John, John comes along and he wants us to see Jesus as God. He starts right out in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that through him all things were made, and nothing was made that nothing that was made was made without him. He's the light of the world. And then he dropped down into verse 12 there, and he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. <coughs> So John is showing us that Jesus is God. The chapter after chapter, John is just loaded with good stuff. And we're going to get into John chapter 8 in a minute. But the first thing I want us to do is turn to, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Because we're, we're taking a look here now at the word for God. <clears throat> Let me go back and begin to read here a little bit just to catch us up. And uh, in, in paragraph four says, the, the name I am is a name which belongs exclusively to God. God himself said that this was his name, and we're going to read that. And what we really need to know is that, that from this point forward, no one ever used I am as a name. It was totally forbidden in just about every um, people. They just didn't use that name. Uh, and, and so it began to be a name for God <coughs> that whenever I am was used together, it was implying God. Now we can have sentences where I am is used and not trying to say who the I am. I am standing here. I'm going to get in my car. Uh, you know, uh, we can use I am in, in those ways, and we're going to see it used both ways, but let's, let's see where it really has its beginning. In Exodus chapter 3, what we've got here is Moses. Uh, he, hopefully you know all of the story of Moses, but he had been raised in, in the uh, Pharaoh's house as a son. Wind up killing an Egyptian. Come in. Good morning. And uh, and he escapes to the backside of the desert. And uh, there gets married, works for his father-in-law, tends sheep. And he's on the backside of the desert near Mount Horeb, where we're going to pick up reading. And I need you to know that he's 80 years old at this point in time. 
He's already been on the backside of the desk about 40 years at this time. I, uh, I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. We'll skip over some in a minute. But uh, we're in Exodus chapter 3, starting uh, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Say, great sight, why the bush does not burn. Let me put it that in good old um, 21st century Virginian. What the heck is that? <laughs> and what is, it got fire coming out of a bush, but the bush isn't being burned. I believe I'd go look too. Got his attention. <clears throat> so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, now I want you to notice right here in this next little sentence where it says, I am the God of, you notice that the I am is in print, is in uh, italics, you see that? Most, and almost all translations that should be in italics, meaning that it's not in the original scripture. It's, um, it's placed here for clarification. It says, I am the God of the Father, but in the original, what it would say is, I, the God of, the, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I want you to remember that now. We have, we have this scene here where he's turned aside to see what this is all about. Come on here. <coughs> and... Uh, and he knows that it's God. God has spoken to him. And, um, and here he is. He's saying he, he's afraid to look at the face of God. So we can't say that Moses is unaware of whose presence he's in. Okay? And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. For I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land and the good and large land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And it goes on and on and he's telling them about it. He's heard the cry of the people. And guys, I, I want to pause again and say to you that in every story we read in the Bible, I don't think there's an exception. In every story we read in the Bible, if you look, you'll find yourself. <coughs> In the parables, it's really prevalent in the, and that the parables are going to do at least two things. They're going to show you you, and they're going to show you the love of God. But in almost all of the stories, we'll find those things true. So where are you in this thing about the people of Egypt and Pharaoh and Moses? 
You're the Egyptians in this story. Anybody being oppressed? Anything happening to you going on in your life? Uh, things that make you feel like you feel like you're a slave to something that you just can't get over, etc., etc. We're we're the we're the children of Israel in this picture. And who's then Pharaoh? Who's Pharaoh in your life? Satan. And our circumstances. Whatever's coming up, whatever and, and is oppressing you, we can see as Pharaoh in your life. Most likely, if it isn't directly Satan, it's circumstances and situations that Satan's tried to bring about. To seek to kill and destroy, father of lies. So we want to be able to see ourselves in this. Verse 10 says, Now come therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, and you notice I am is in parentheses again. Italic. Italic, I mean, italic, thank you. I, that should, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, and this would be your reference point. Good morning, girl. Good morning. Uh, this would be your reference point if you ever want to memorize the scripture. This is one of the good ones. This is Exodus 3.14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. Uh, first of all, I think that it was a little foolish on Moses' part to even ask. He knew he was in the presence of God. He was afraid. He, he knew where he was, and yet he says, he's basically saying, who are you? I think, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get a good look at it when we get over into John here in a little bit. We'll see every once in a while, we'll see that God has a bit of a sense of humor. And, and you know, when he goes to answer Moses here, as serious as it is, I, I really think I can hear God chuckle. Moses is saying, well, who are you? And God, God chuckles and says, I am who I am. The way that that's put there brings us to one and very important truth out of this because the I am now becomes a two-sided coin. And we want to look at both sides of this. By God saying, I am who I am, he's basically saying, I am an eternal being. I am. I always have been. I always will be. Before the universe was formed, before anything 
anything. I am God. Eternal being. The only eternal being. That's why this name, I am, became a name that was exclusively for God. I am is God. But it's kind of like an unfinished sentence, isn't it? And that's the, that's the flip side of the question. <coughs> I am what? And here he's saying to Moses, I will be with you. I will do. He says, let me go back and read. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me. And it's back where I read. He said, I will be with you. And, uh, and he certainly is. Oh, back in verse 12, he said, I, I will certainly be with you. We can, we can kind of leave that part of it for a minute, but, but the point needs to be well taken here that in that little verse, Exodus 3, 14, we're seeing God declare himself to be the eternal self-existing one he has always existed. He is God. There is no other. I am that I am. That's God. <clears throat> and it's also important for us to realize that, that through the coming centuries, I am as a term was regarded and held at, for God. Um, but let's take a look at some of this I am what. <laughs> Drop down to be paragraph five. The, Jew, the Jews fully understand, understood that the name I am belonged only to God. Skip that. We're going to go to John in a minute. Um, but he's saying, and just skim on down to the bottom, he says, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the light. I am the true vine. I am the living bread. I am the resurrection. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life, etc., etc. And um, yeah, we can go ahead and turn the page, but what, we're going to we're going to go to John now. But remember, I said that uh, you're the people of Israel, and uh, there's a <laughs> there's an enemy in your life, and and this is going to come down to a place of personal application. It's important that I get over to John, but I don't want to get there ahead of myself. I want us to pause and take a look at, at the I am whatever you need me to be. At the top of that second page, you've got the I am in, in the middle. I'm sorry that it's not a really good graphic. It just didn't turn out real well. But as you read around some of that, um, the question ought to be in each of our minds, what do, what, do, what do I need? What do I need? What's going on in my life? What, what in the world do I need from God? Maybe I need to, um, well, let me try to think of, of some things. I thought of some things lying on my bed last night. I was up in the middle of the night with this thing. But, I think, I think my brother John looking for a job and, um, and looking for the right job 
and I don't know, I haven't talked to him about this, but let's say he had his heart set on a particular thing, thought it looked to be just exactly right, and, um, and somebody stepped in the way and they got the, they got the job and he didn't. Or, or what, if, what if we got a, a person that just, no matter what they seem to try to do, they can't get their finances straight? Or how about a person that's been picked on all their life, starting way back when they was a child in school and things felt like always being picked on? Or what about the person that has been seriously wronged? I don't have to try to draw pictures for you or tell you about individuals that I know because I've done enough counseling that I can tell you legitimately that some of the things that I want to mention are things that have been brought up to me in my office and counseling, especially in the years that I was in Florida, and that's mostly what I did was counseling. What about the person that was raped? Or the person that was beat almost to death? Or the person that doesn't want to live any longer, thinks they want to take their own life? What about the person that's given up on themselves and the only thing that they can think of themselves is, I'm no good. I, I'm, I'm no good. Nothing I ever do, etc. Y'all, you with me where I'm going with this? Those are maybe the extremes and somewhere up closer to where we are, those things aren't maybe quite so bad. But we have needs. We're a needy people. Where do we go to get those needs met? What about the what about the person that was physically, sexually abused? Mean stuff in the life. What do they do? You need to be able to turn to God and be able to know that God is whatever they need. I need forgiveness, God's my forgiveness. Do I need strength to be able to carry on day by day? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What do I need him to be? <clears throat> look at one of these things, the first thing I look at it says he's, he's, he's your holiness. And so what about this person that says, I, I just, I am, I am not worth a nickel. I am no good at all. I just, and holy? No, I'm not holy. But who is your holiness? You know, we studied last week about this word righteousness. It's imputed to us. Now, um, holiness, and we're, we're going to be getting into this more and more in a, in a future lesson, but, but when we become sanctified and God is working on us and he's working on us to make us holy, but basically it's a gift of God all of these things come from God. We need to be able to start to look at God as the I am. He is the I am of whatever it is that we need. How, how dark the trouble, how big the trouble, how mean the trouble. It doesn't make any difference how bad it is. The, the place to get that need met is through Almighty God. The I am. Now let's take a look. At John, we want to go to John chapter eight. <clears throat> I 
I'm going to start in verse 12, but I'm going to, it's, it's a long ways from verse 12 to verse 59, and I don't want to read it all. Could, I guess, got about enough time that we wouldn't have to worry about it too much. But I want you to see something here. There's an argument going on here between basically the Pharisees, but there's a lot of people around. If you read before it, you see that they've been coming along. First of all, he's been in the temple, now he's out of the temple, and people are following him around and they're talking. But there's this basic argument going on because the Pharisees are wanting to do him in. He has upset their apple cart. Uh, they're not, he just doesn't have any use for them as religious leaders. They, their piousness is shot in front of Jesus. And so they're having this argument. I want you to see here in what Jesus is going to start doing in verse 12 is he's going to play with them a little bit. He starts using the term I am. He's not using it yet in the sense that where he's saying that he is God, he's going to get there, but he's leading them up to it. I, I think I counted like 14 times in about 14 verses that he uses this word. So let's start in verse 12, John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, and your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge, judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me, he bears witness of me. And then they said to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. <laughs> Important words for us to grasp. We need to know that it's going over their head. The Pharisees are not catching this, but Jesus has just told them that if they want to know who the father is, all they have to do is look at him because he and the father are one. Verse 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid, laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jesus said, so the Jews said, I'm sorry, said, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now I want to pause again, I kind of 
led you up to this point by talking about these words in italics. Do you see that the he there, the capital he, is in, is in italics? Is that the way it is in your Bible? All right. So that means that's been put in there by the translators for clarification. Let me read that verse 24 again without the he. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. <laughs> do you catch that? And the Pharisees should have caught that, but they're caught up in the moment of the argument here. And I think, again, this went right over their heads. But see here, for the first time, Jesus has said, I am, without saying, I am the light, or I am doing this, or I am going there. He simply said, I am. He said, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to go ahead and read this right on through. We've got a good ways to go to get to, to verse 59, but let's just be sure that we're in this argument. I'm just going to keep reading here for, for that for you. <clears throat> verse 28. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, what's he talking about? When you lift up the Son of Man. Didn't he just, in those words, isn't he right there telling them that you're going to lift him up on a cross? He's He's saying to them what they don't yet know. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and notice again, the he is, is in italics. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me, the Father has not left me alone, for I will I always do the things that please him. I wish we could all say that. <laughs> he won't leave us, but do we always do the things that please him? Verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, these Pharisees don't let go. They're still arguing. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Do I need to pause there for a minute? I, I, I know that, that there's some illustration here that helps when you understand the tradition of the way things worked in a household. And Jesus talked about it just in another verse, set of verses here about the prodigal son. And, um, and, and we talk about 
Um, when in the household of, they're usually talking about established people, wealthier people, well-off people, that in their household, the son, especially when he becomes a grown son, has basically the same authority as the father, maybe not quite, but if there's a slave in this household and the son sets him free, then he's free. The son has the authority to do that. That's primarily what's been said here in those verses. Uh, for my adverse in the verse, guys. Okay, I guess I need to go to verse 33. Uh, no, I've read that. 37. Which one? 36 or 37. 36, okay. Yes, there's 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Pretty good argument, isn't it? I hope you're kind of capturing in on the fact that here we've got a group of people standing around, and this is a live argument going on. It's an interesting to be able to eavesdrop and hear this argument. Verse 45, again, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we right, not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And pause again for a second. First of all, was he a Samaritan? No, he wasn't. <laughs> he doesn't even bother to address that. The people are totally wrong, uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He just lets it go, uh, and he says, "I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word." He shall never see death. Well, this takes him by, by surprise. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, 
And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Catch this next verse. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. <laughs> Catch this argument. And these Pharisees think they know everything. These are the people that have been studying the law for their lifetime. These people think that they know everything that there is to know about God and the law and that this guy, Jesus, is some heretic. That's what they think. Now, they're arguing with him tooth and nail. And here, here he's saying, and how could this be? Think about this from a human standpoint. How could this be? And, and of course, that's what they're thinking. But Jesus just said, your father Abraham saw my day and was glad. <laughs> How, when, where? Uh, well, of course, after he was in heaven, Abraham would have been able to be face to face with Jesus before Jesus came up down to the earth. And if I, my memory is correct, there's roughly 3,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. How long is 3,000 years? We, we go back to Jesus and we think of that as absolutely ancient history and that was 2,000 years ago. There's 3,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. I reckon Abraham had his lots of time to spend in heaven with Jesus. And so he saw what Jesus did. He saw Jesus' day and was glad to see it. These guys, this, is, this is all going right over their head. Verse 57, Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Here we go, guys. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Hey, the same I am that was at the bush with Moses. The same I am that has existed eternally. The same I am whose name is from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus has stood there and said to them, I am God. Then they took up stones to throw at him. In your little book there, turn over a page there to your, to your question and answer sheet. What's, what's the last question on that? What does it, what does it say there, Judy? Uh, What did you say? Because we are in Christ, we have a perfect. Oh, okay. Let me word it. Well, I have this thing different than I thought I had it. Okay, no, it is there. It's in number three. Um, then they took up stones to kill him. And the question is why? 
Yeah. Now, going through all this, so hopefully you have a grasp on this. Why did they stake up stones to kill him, guys? He was calling, and to them that was total blasphemy. To them, they 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 thought this this person's out of his mind, and he see he's been drawing them along here. Now that's a long what I that didn't in the whole chapter. I started in verse twelve. He's been bringing them along in this conversation about I am this and I am that and I am and I am I am the light and I am the truth and etc. and and he brings them up to a point now where he finally, I think he's tired of their arguing. And so finally he says, I am. Before Abraham even existed, I am. And so they took up stones to kill him because they didn't understand. He's saying to them all along, you don't know. You don't know who I am. I want to drop back now a little bit to the, to the lower half of that second page where it says, Jesus Christ, our life. As we conclude our study of Jesus as our all in all, and I didn't even use that word, but um, talking about him as the great I am, we must look at both sides of the issue, him and us and us and him. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. John 14, 20. Two verses earlier in John 14, 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. We must not think of this as just in the past tense, not just something that happened on that wonderful day of Pentecost. We must consider these facts as two very important aspects of our new relationship with Jesus Christ. The believer is in Christ, and Christ is in the believer. Remember when we were first talking about God, and we were talking about the attributes of God, the one word that seemed to fit more than anything else for us to grasp this is to talk about God's nature, the nature of God. Here's, here's where God comes to try to, to help us most. If he is in your heart, then his nature is there. Am I correct? Yeah. So we ought not to be surprised when we find ourselves caring. I've, I've known people and you have too. They don't care. They don't care about anything. As lost as they can get. And one of the, one of the attributes of being lost in this world and lost without God is that oh, there's some humanness here and there. But for the most people, they don't care. And then you can take that same person. And when they've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when they've been able to, that's one of the reasons why I like ministering in jail. <laughs> there's no longer any question you've come face to face with the fact that you're a sinner. Never any any more room to say, well, yeah, but I wouldn't do that. I don't do that. I've never done that. No. Come face to face with that fact and then realize that you need forgiveness and you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And almost suddenly, almost suddenly, when you come to a place where you've received and felt and accepted 
this forgiveness that you know you didn't deserve it. Yeah, no way in the world that you deserve to be forgiven. But you feel the love of God when it comes to forgive you. And one of the things that happens then, as he comes to indwell you and he comes into your heart, then your heart comes alive. I think I've told you, and I'll just try to close with this. Um, I just loving on him this morning, I thought of it. <clears throat> several weeks ago now a couple of months I think I told you that I'm behind my little what I call my lumber yard which is a big tent where I keep lumber in there I saw something what was it I got around and looked and here's this little cat skinny tiny afraid cold sick I went up to him He's run off from me at first, and I kept talking to him. He finally let me get close, and I picked him up. He's a sick cat. Bubbles coming from his nose when he breathed. Eyes is all matted. And he's so skinny he hadn't eaten in a long time. I'll tell you the truth. I don't think this cat could have lived another two or three days. Not even more than that. Remember Moses at the burning bush and he says, who am I? <laughs> I've about taught myself out of time. I wish I had more time to go back and talk about this. But I kind of was going like, who am I, God? Um, this cat needs attention. We don't have the money to take this cat to a vet. I called Kathy. She said, we're going to take him to a vet. <laughs> sure enough. Long story short, about two months later, pretty healthy little old cat, got all of his shots. It's been a good change, chunk of change. Got a little collar on him, a little pretty red collar, and got his tag on there. He follows me around like a puppy dog. He goes out in the shop and he goes to my office. He really wants, when I'm working at my desk, he wants to get up there and lay on my desk. And I picked him up this morning. This isn't the first time I've thought it, but I picked him up. And I thought, you know, God sent you here. God sent you to a place where he knows you'd be loved and cared for. Why? Why would I care? Because Jesus lives in my heart. Because it's no longer a stone-cold rock caring of the Spirit of God that dwells in my heart because Jesus is in my heart, cared for that cat. And I'm able to pick that little cat up and say, you know, by the grace of God, we saved your life. We saved your life. Now, it's a shame that I have to take that maybe to a cat. It'd be better if I was taking it to a human being. But hey, guys, here's the whole point. Every one of us is a Moses. There's a Moses inside every one of you. And there's a Pharaoh in your life who wants to seek, to kill, to destroy, to hurt, to maim. He wants to hurt your life. He wants to do bad things to you. And God is saying to you the same as he said to Moses, go. Question, 
Did God know what Moses, or I mean, what Pharaoh was going to do? Every bit of it. God knew every time that Pharaoh would say what he did and do what he did. God knew. He wasn't taken by surprise by Pharaoh. But also, did God know what he was going to do? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. As you become Moses and go after the Pharaoh in your life to get yourself set free, does God know what Satan's going to do? Does God know what he's going to do? Of course he does. One little thing that I didn't talk about there, and it's time for me to close. And we did, if I read a little further there uh, in, in chapter 3, and I think over into chapter 4 of Exodus, uh, we get to a place where Moses is saying to God, Well, I can't say nothing. I got this speech impediment, and I just, I just, boy, I just can't do this. It says God gets a little angry with him. I want to encourage you not to provoke God to anger. <laughs> go ahead and go. But I've got a little book. I've had it for years and years and years. Just a little book, and I don't remember the author. I think it's, it's a woman, and I think her last name is Gay, G-A-Y-E. I'm not sure. But anyway, the name of this little book is Here Am I, God, Send Aaron. You don't need Aaron, guys. Moses could have done that without Aaron. God would have touched his mouth. God would have given him what he needed. But Moses thought he needed Aaron, so God sent him. God is I am. He is I am of whatever in the world you need him to be. 